You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I know, these guys are awesome. Like, I literally, it's, we're going to keep this well under an hour, but we could do five hours of it. What can they teach us? But yes, this electrolocation is also, researchers call it their sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. Like the movie. Many species are in crisis and need your help. I read with the IUCN, they could be as low as 30,000 up to maybe 300,000. Sure, it's just really difficult to measure and quantify them because of their Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. What do you know uh, about platypuses? I don't know, Xander. I'm going to listen to this podcast. And <laughs> what do you know about platypuses? That they are, are carnivores. Carnivores? What do they uh-huh. eat? Meat. They eat fish. What? There you go. And what else do they eat? Mm, plants. Yeah? And what do they look like? They look like webby feet and they have a bill bill and they swim with their eyes closed how did you know that how do you know this stuff because they use their their bills to find their way around the mucky water (laughs) i think you know more about platypuses than i do (laughs) xander oh man i'm so excited to be uh Talking today with Xander, he's going to be my co-host. Angie decided that uh, Xander knows more about platypuses than she will ever know. So me and Xander are going to talk about them today. So Xander, what else do you know about platypuses? So they have that crazy nose, right? Yeah. And Where they, do they live? Well, actually they live in the Amazon River. Amazon? Are you sure? <laughs> I think they live closer to where I'm at right now. Well, Have you ever heard of Australia? Nope. They live in the Amazon River. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Australia. There you go. So, yeah, Australia. So, that's just near where I'm at right now. So, what color are platypuses? Uh, I don't... Um, kind of brownish. Yeah, totally. They're brown and their fur... <laughs> It's kind of waterproof, right? So they can swim a lot. Now, Xander, if you had to guess, when do you think platypuses come out the most? During the day or the night? Huh. I know, in the night. You're right, in the night. They're nocturnal. That's usually when they come out. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, do you know how they make babies? No. Do they they lay eggs? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? They lay eggs. What the heck is that? Well, birds lay eggs. Yeah. Do you did you eat your eggs this morning for breakfast? Yeah. 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 Well, that's because there's two kind of eggs. One is live birth, and one kind of egg you just eat the egg. Yeah. Well, I think we covered pretty much everything we need to with platypuses. Do you, is there anything else you know about them? Well, that platypuses. They actually, well, they, um, 
well, there's a alternate show about it, and and then well, the daddy the daddy have stingers on the back on their back. Legs. You're right. They do, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh my gosh, Xander. You, I, I think you, you can just do the show by yourself. I think we should sign you up. And then we will just have you talk about all the animals that we want to talk about. Uh, Does that sound like a good plan? I don't think so, because I don't know about all of the animals. No, not all of them. Just some. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> well, thank you for being a guest on our show today, Xander. You know we're doing platypuses because you wanted it, and, and I thought it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks well, for talking to me. You're welcome, Xander. We'll have you on Good again. Good job, Xander. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. And sorry, Angie, we had to ask you back as much as I would have loved to just talk to Xander for an hour. <laughs> My God, he is so brilliant. Oh, Chris, it was so funny. Right before I put the headphones on him, he's like, I am so excited. <laughs> but it is it we, is apropos he's the one that suggested platypus and so in tribute yes, to him I, yes. I wanted to see if he remembered anything about them which it sounds like he did yes he my god i mean for a four-year-old spot spouting off those facts i'm like oh my goodness he is too much too much so uh, yeah the platypus like just wow what a great species to cover oh i've had so much fun reading this past week and learning about them because up until I started really, really looking into the platypus, uh, Xander, my four-year-old, did know more than I knew. And so, <laughs> and from some of his uh, fun little programs he watches. But for me, yeah, I was just been mesmerized. I would find out about one cool fact, and then I would dive into that. And, then I, and just when I thought it couldn't get any cooler, there was more. So, yeah. and yeah. once again, Chris, you can appreciate this. I... Usually before each episode, I ask John, my husband, the animal expert guy, say, oh, you know, is there anything, any plugs that you want to give? Or is there anything, have you worked with the species? Or is there anything you know, unique about them? And so when we got to the platypus, he asked me what the plural of platypus is. So, and then we had a debate. <laughs> <laughs> a, de- a great Mio household debate ensued. It was, it was pretty, oh, it was pretty yes. uh, pleasant. Well, with that being said, I'm asking you, do you know the plural platypus? Plural of platypus. It is not platypi. It is platypuses. Um, you're, ha- right. you're, you're not wrong. You're not right. But I'll tell you what. Uh, you stay tuned to all the listeners out there, and I will tell you the correct all answer. Right. And we will put the great debate of if it's platypuses, platypi, and lots of other probably inappropriate words I could think of. Platypus. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yes, yes. I and it was uh, the, and I was very pleased to settle the debate with my husband, and we both learned a lot. And that's what the show is all about: learning, growing, and okay. debates, and then loving. I guess at the end. Yeah, yeah. Going okay, whatever. Yeah, uh, platypi. I don't. Okay, okay. Now let's just get to the end because I want to mm, know. There's too much good stuff just in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know these guys are awesome. Like I. Literally, it's we're gonna keep this well under an hour, but we could do five hours on these guys. Xander kind of started everything out, and before we get rolling, I just wanted to, to give a shout out to a couple people that have left reviews on iTunes. It really is great to see the interaction with the fans. We have some fans leaving 
feedback on Facebook. People are following us on Twitter, but just a couple of people on iTunes. It just, you know, makes my day when I see this stuff, makes this all worth it. And P. Baranis wrote, this podcast is like a good book. I just can't stop listening. This podcast is such a wealth of information and the passion shared within is palpable. Love it. Uh, we love you. Thank you. We love that you is awesome. Too. Whoever that is. Yes. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> and the, yeah, thanks, mom, for writing that. <laughs> no. Um, and then uh, Scound Superstar, two thumbs up to all creatures podcast. I've learned so much and had fun while learning. I look forward to the next episode. Hey, we look honestly, Angie and I. This is like the highlight oh, yes. of our week. It is oh, fun man. to Especially do this. Especially when we're going to yeah. talk about yeah. this uh, really unique mammal today. So much fun. Yeah. I know, I know. It is very unique, and it's also called the duck-billed platypus, which you know most people I think know, but you'll learn more. And you know, and, and we like to cover endangered species, and these just got recently moved up to the threatened list by the IUCN. So they are an animal that that is starting to struggle uh, in the wild. Now, just a kind of quick description of a platypus. It's like you know, I even saw a meme a couple days ago. I, I meant to send, send it to you, Angie. It showed a beaver and a duck. And coming together and making a platypus. And that's like the perfect description, I guess, of what it would kind of look like. Interestingly enough, when the first platypus was brought from Australia, right? Uh, Platypus, uh, for those who aren't familiar, are endemic to Australia. And when it Mm -hmm. came back on the boat, our preserved specimen of it came over to England. This, and I think it was 1799, the research scientists thought it was a joke. They were like, no, 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 you're, yeah. you're yeah. making tricks. Yeah. You, you, they thought, they literally yes. thought that, they're like, you, whoever brought this specimen back, that they had sewn together different body parts from different animals. And that's what they, that, I mean, that's yeah, how goofy they, it looks, how different, how many, we'll describe it better. Uh, but it just looks so, it had so many unique features that they couldn't believe it. And then, of course, they had to believe it. Yeah, these guys are mammals. That's They lay eggs, but yet they're mammals. And we're going to talk about why they are a mammal and not a reptile or a bird or something like that. And Because there's lots of things, but they do have mammary glands that are a little bit crude. They feed their young from. They are warm-blooded, things like that, that they all have classifications of mammals, except they lay eggs, which is weird. Now, as Angie indicated, these are mammals that live in Australia, mm-hmm. right? And it's interesting that Australia was so isolated, kind of like Madagascar, where these species were able to evolve away from influence of a lot of other species in Asia and you know across, across the world. So today, they live in eastern Australia, and then interestingly, they find them on Tasmania. Right, I was reading that. So maybe yeah. at one point when they were connected yeah. or... yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so, right, Tasmania was joined to Australia through the last Ice Age. Then after the last Ice Age, it became isolated. So about 10,000 years, the platypus there were isolated, but they're still the same species. They haven't really, they don't differ. There's no subspecies. Okay. There's just one species of one platypus. One solid species. Right. Mm-hmm. Some other characteristics, you know, we're going to talk about, they're, they're semi-aquatic. So they, they generally, streams, creeks, lakes, slow moving rivers they don't like mm-hmm. fast water right yeah I got, for me i kind of thought of either north american ob- otters or beavers right like similar right. habitats right lakes, rivers mm-hmm. yeah perfect perfect description yep and and as xander already told us they're nocturnal so they like to 
mostly come out at night. They do come out during the day, but they generally do like to come out at night. They spend most of their day or most of the time when they're foraging is either right before uh, dawn or right at sunset. So, and then the other half. Crespuscular is that word, I believe. Ooh, that's a big one. Can yeah, you spell that? I know that Xander <laughs> yeah. knows that word too. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna fell out of my chair if I heard that come out of his mouth. <laughs> so, uh, I can, o- I can only cue him so much, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, yeah. So they, yeah, spend about 13, 14 hours a day foraging. And then the rest of the the day, they're they're sleeping or isolated they, in their burrows. They, I was reading, Chris, that they do. They sleep a lot, and the researchers think or hypothesize that they might need to sleep a lot because of the crustaceans that they eat in their diet ha- are really high in calories, so that it makes them yeah. Sleepy. Oh, wow. Yeah, inter- just interesting. And right. <laughs> And a lot of this, of course, the morphology or a lot of the information is very well known. But the truth is that a lot of research is limited because these guys are pretty secretive. Right. And from platypus that live under human care, we've learned a lot more about their behavior. Mm -hmm, Uh, But mm -hmm. there's still many more I don't know if there's more unknowns and knowns, but it's it's a toss-up. We're they're yeah. a pretty difficult species to studies, being nocturnal, being semi-aquatic, right. and which is one of the reasons why it's been hard for the IUCN and other research groups to get really good population counts on them. Exactly, exactly. My point is is that with all the crazy, funny, interesting facts that we're going to provide the listeners with today, there's probably a lot of other things that we don't even know about them still to be explored and learned. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah learning all the time and mm-hmm. like, you're right. It was just a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago that they got upgraded to the threatened status because the data was deficient. Right. I mean, they weren't mm-hmm. a concern, didn't know a lot. Now all of a sudden you're out doing, okay, we have a reasonable handle on this population. Oh my goodness. You know, they're, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So the platypus belongs to a group of mammals called the monotremes. And there's really three major classes. Word of the day. Monotremes, word of the day. (laughs) That other one you just said. Yeah, the other (laughs) one. uh, uh, Yeah, there's a lot of big words today. So monotremes, which are really of the three main groups of mammals, they're the ones that lay eggs. And there's really five species. There's one species of platypus and then four species of echidnas. So that's the other egg-laying mammals. And for listeners out there that aren't familiar with echidna, it for me it kind of looks like a little hedgehog. Yeah, perfect. That, yeah, with like a long okay? nose yeah. and right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and they and they lay eggs. So right. totally bizarre. However, the, yeah, the hedgehog does not lay eggs, but the echidna does. Right. right, right. So they belong to the monotremes. Now the other two classes, really quick, marsupials. So your possums, kangaroos, koalas, wallabies, those animals are a separate group in mammals. And that's because they're young when they're born or very, very tiny, young. They look like you know little mouse pups. I mean, they're like little jelly beans, very, un- very yeah. underdeveloped. Yes. And they have very to cr- underdeveloped. crawl into, right. And they crawl into the pouches and that lets them grow. They, they latch onto a teat and then they grow and then they come out in little joeys and all the little fun stuff that we see with them. Mm-hmm. And then the final class is us and most other mammals, and that's the eutherians, which basically means we developed in a placenta. 
were born, you know, the placenta breaks were born. It includes whales too. Whales are eutherians and, and the other cetaceans. Mm-hmm. So the platypus is the monotremes. Very, very unique. But what makes monotremes mammals? So like we already said, and even Xander said some of this stuff, they're endothermic, means they have a high metabolic rate. So produce body temperatures, but in the low 90s, high 80s. Yeah, I was reading they're lower Fahrenheit, than yeah. the, the common mammal. Right. And like that's like 21, 22 Celsius. So, mm-hmm. and I'm doing that. I don't even, hey, I'm doing that on top of my head. I'm learning. The, uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, they have hair, you know, which is a classification fur. On, for mammals. Mm-hmm. Fur, mm-hmm. yeah. Produce milk through mammary glands. Lactation. Right. And then they have a single bone in their lower jaw. And then the three middle ear bones. So those are all classifications that make us mammals. All of that. Now, the platypus, here's another big word. Scientific name is... Drum roll, please. (laughs) Ornithor hynicus anatinus. Hey! Very good. Hey, this is why this is your job. You get paid the big bucks to do that, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my 10 cents an hour. Yeah, um, that so, you're giving it away. You're not making 10 cents yeah. an hour. You're losing 10 cents. <laughs> yeah, I am easily right now. Yeah. Um, hey, it's worth it, though. You know, we got to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. The So evolution, Angie. I, again, this could be a whole separate podcast, and I'll keep this very, very brief. Yes, for our listeners out there, it is very cool. Um, I highly recommend if you are into evolution as much as Chris is to Google it. But I told him to uh, to take it easy on all of us a little bit <laughs> today. <Yes. laughs> so way long- back in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long week so far. A cold month yeah. of February. That's <laughs> oh, hot here. Oh, it's like it, yeah. it's 22 degrees Celsius outside mm. right now. Uh, it's beautiful here. Um, all right. The so quick the, and dirty. The cliff notes for, yeah, the quick and dirty. Earliest reptile-like mammals. So there was mammals that evolved uh, from reptiles, kind of. uh, The branch, right? The one that was branching out to form mammals. That happened over 280 million years ago. Now, most of these went extinct during the Permian mass extinction, which was the most devastating. This one, like I'm telling you, I'm reading a lot about these right now. 96% 96 of life died out. Like, Hmm. it's amazing life's still here. Right? That was the third. That was crazy. So most of the reptile-like mammals died out then. Then you had the fourth mass extinction, 210 million years ago. And then the one that took out T-Rex, 65 million years ago, the fifth, right? These reptile-like mammals have survived, and that's the, the very distant relatives to the platypus. So they survived so, the fifth or all of them, are you saying? They survived the third, the fourth, and the fifth. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Where, you know, the Permian was the the most insane one, 96%. So 4% of life, those little relatives of the platypus survived. Then they survived the fourth. Then they survived the fifth. We'll see if they'll survive the sixth. But holy smokes. Like, yeah. Yeah. So really insane. Insane. So anyways, they they did survive through that. And then the monotremes really diverged from mammals 166 million years ago. So... You know, the uh, the Ethereans and the marsupials took one way, and the monotremes formed their own branch of mammal 166 million years ago. They were like, we're going to do it differently. Yes. <laughs> we're going to do yes. it differently. Yeah. And this was way before the placenta. Yeah, before the mm-hmm. placenta evolved, right? So placental-bearing animals hadn't even, mammals haven't even formed yet. But this split happened 
so long ago. So the platypus is really a cross between a reptile and a mammal. It's just insane. Yes, it really is. And I was reading some really fun articles, journal articles about all the cool DNA stuff that they're finding out. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's all. Thank you. That's a great lead in. Real quick, they have found platypus uh, bones in South America that date back about 25, 30 million years ago. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of everywhere. And basically, this is just a mammal frozen in time. So probably one of the most ancient. Yeah, the most ancient mammal on Earth are these these class uh, monotremes. Now, so DNA. Cool. There you go, Angie. Perfect. You're right. <laughs> Again, a lot of what we know, and you know, going way back to our first couple pods talking about mitochondrial DNA and all this stuff, applies here. We have learned so much from genetic code, looking at genetics. So the one paper that I really found that really painted a a great picture of platypus and you know their origins. And that was the genome analysis of the platypus reveals unique signatures of evolution, which was published in Nature in 2008. So basically what they have found is these platypus have genes from both reptiles and other mammals. And then, and you know, bird, obviously these birds. genes. Yeah. Uh, so the birds mammals, and reptiles. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. They're like the, the ancient dinosaurs, right? Birds. So the reptiles and birds kind of very, very similar genes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this study is awesome. It, it's great. And I'll, I'll, I will definitely try to remember to put it in the show notes because it, it I downloaded it. It's free off the internet if you're that in tune or you really want to read about it. So they have characteristics of reptiles and mammals, which is insane. Oh, yeah. It's really incredible. And that's yeah. some of the fun stuff we're going to talk about. The egg laying to the lactation. Right, and, right, right. And that's where, just briefly, like the egg laying came from birds and reptiles. But then the lactation is mm-hmm. like beginning of what we see in in today's mammals but it's not true lactation and i'll right. touch, i'll touch on that in reproduction yeah yeah it's- but then they have that really unique indifferent venomous spur the males yeah we're getting there yeah yep. and so yeah yeah that's where that that's what through the a lot of the researchers looking at the the dna for a loop because mm-hmm. my understanding and maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but we think when we think of poison or venomous animals, it's oft quite often reptiles, and mm-hmm. these genes they believe came through convergent evolution. So not from a relative mm-hmm. of a reptile, like let's say a snake, um, a venomous snake. Right, right. It, it they're not sharing the same venom genes with a rattlesnake per per se. Right. They developed this unique style on their own with some similar toxins, but different toxins. So they're just, yeah, yeah. uh, It's just bizarre. (laughs) Oh, it is. It is. It is. And, and uh, the kind of like, that was the one I was just like, Oh my goodness. So it's just the males that are venomous. And it, again, going back the difference between poisonous and venomous poisonous is you have to ingest it. So poison dart frogs, it, it's not venomous. It's a poison. So you have to eat the dart frog or touch it and really like absorb it through your skin to get some of that poison. Venom has a delivery mechanism. So we think of venomous snakes. They bite you through the fangs. Right. Fangs are hollow. They inject venom. Right. So the male platypuses have these hollow spurs on their hind legs that deliver venom. Mm-hmm. Now, you may ask yourself, will it kill me? 
No, it won't. It's not fatal to humans, but oh, you're going to have a bad day. Well, it's going to be or horrible. Or because you might have a bad four months. Uh, research, yeah, reported about a 57 year old that accidentally grabbed one of the ma- mammals while fishing, and he said the pain was so bad he almost became incoherent. And he was Ugh. a soldier, so he had taken like shrapnel yeah. wounds, and so this was a tough guy, right? And right. he was like, "Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah." Ibuprofen, morphine didn't touch it. And the Ugh. finger was like a swollen and then ached for four months. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. But but with that being said, researchers one of the reasons they've been so interested in in deciphering their the DNA related to these proteins and the venom is because they might they it's definitely different. There's different components in it to right. compared to snake venom, and they want to learn about learn about some of these proteins to perhaps for the biomedical industry. Right, and, yeah. You know, and there's there's just a lot of secrets locked, well, locked inside a lot of the animals, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's just it's just really unique. Yeah, you and I yes, mean even you wouldn't die, you're not going to die, but you don't you <laughs> yeah. don't grab uh take home message of the day is don't grab a platypus because you got a yeah. 50/50 shot that it could be male or female and <laughs> if it's a and male yeah, but interestingly enough, with the males, uh, they they really only produce a large amount of venom or venom that would probably cause a boo boo like that. Oh, there's my I'm in my mom mode. Um, <laughs> but to to, <laughs> to to cause something like that is, uh, is during the breeding season, right? And right. they have a very distinct, not very long breeding season that in the springtime in Australia. So that's when they're going to be the most dangerous. And researchers believe that the venom is. M- Probably actually defense mechanisms for male male to male combat right. during breeding season, right. and so they're not trying to get you. They're not trying to sting you. No, um, no, no, not at all, not at all. Yeah, they, yeah, the venom is is interesting. It's a cocktail of nineteen different you know substances and proteins. So you're right. Oh, I read a one of the research studies I read said it was a cocktail of 80 different toxins. Oh, maybe that's so, the updated one. Okay, we'll go with 80. Yeah, I think <laughs> they're right. still learning. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, and again, this nature study was 2008, so a decade ago. And obviously, they've probably done a lot more research since then. And then just to go back, Angie, what you were talking about medical, I remember going back to the poison dart frogs, you were talking about them using some of these substances to like get better pain medicine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they have morphine-like you know, components, that so again these animals we can use them to our benefit and not only protect the environment and everything else around the world but they will they could benefit humans so absolutely yeah yeah and then just a couple other things interesting about platypus is their chemoreception is very similar to mammals so yeah so the venom is really cool and then angie again another awesome thing that they do does it get it gets better? You're telling me it yes, gets better? Yes. And 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 <laughs> Xander already ruined it for us because he's so smart and already said this. But they electric locate underwater. So they use sure, that Chris. bill. Yeah. Yeah. Their bill. Yeah. And the bill is really unique too, in that it's not like a duck bill. It's not no. hard. It's it's soft and kind of almost leathery, maybe, if you will. Yeah. Um it feels like suede. Mm-hmm. But yes, this electrolocation is also, researchers call it their sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. Like the movie, it's like the movie or whatever. But yeah, the sixth sense. Yeah, yeah, sense. yeah. Yeah, Alexander was saying they're so sensitive that a platypus can hunt with its eyes and ears and nose closed just using this electrolocation. Right. right. 
Right. So they in, within that bill. So the bill. Yeah, you're right. The skin, outer skin is like leather, suede, really soft, rubbery. And it has a lot of electrolocation receptors inside the skin of that bill. Right. And then on the outside, they have a lot of touch receptors like we do on the outside of our skin and stuff like that. Outside of platypus, there's one species of dolphin that can do this, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So this electrolocate they use, so when they do swim, they close their eyes and their ears, and they use that to sense underwater electric fields of their prey, which is insane. Yeah, I had to yeah. do a little research on it because just being myself, I'm like, so what is <laughs> electrolocation exactly? Yeah. I had heard yeah. of it, but how does this work? And so they are trying correct me if i'm wrong but they're trying to receive electric currents from live animals that everybody produces electricity right so they right and researchers just to prove this theory took fake plastic shrimp which shrimp is part of their diet mm-hmm. spoiler alert you'll learn mm-hmm. some more of that but they yeah, eat yeah, shellfish yeah. and crustaceans and worms right, right. and they're basically bottom feeders but shrimp's right. part of their diet and or shrimp like animals and they they passed a current through it and as soon as they uh-huh. did that the platypus could would eat it or try to, they wouldn't yeah, yeah, they, they, they didn't let it eat the fake shrimp of course rubber shrimp because yeah 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 <laughs> but it proved it so yeah. they're they're basically hunting and sensing for anything that's alive you know that's not an inanimate object right looking for animate objects and right. then they just they just go for it with their eyes closed yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they just the adaptations of this mammal is just insane. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And the water's so murky that that's probably why some of this adapted is that they can see underwater with without right, uh, right, right. without seeing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it, it helps them find food and stuff. So that's why they probably evolved that way. So the other inter- interesting thing that I read about them is getting away from electrolocation, their chemoreception, so smell is very keen so with even water they can smell really well so um they they can sniff things out again we talked about the eggs the lactation we'll get to and then well i'm sure in repro you know maybe talk about this but their sperm production looking at this genetic studies they have traits of both reptilian and mammalian sperm production so again this cross between reptiles and mammals that happened 280 million years ago here it is here it is here is what life on earth looked like like. that long ago yeah right and then most of them died out and then they were like okay they tried a different blueprint blueprint and went to a placenta type mammal or something but yeah yeah that's just so amazing so right right yeah and then like you know talking about humans and discovery how they just thought this thing was bizarre i think it's hilarious like this guy's all excited months on a boat you know sailing around the world almost died <laughs> oh, yeah. 50 times look at what i found and everybody makes fun mm-hmm. of him and says that yeah, thing's fake yep. it, the year was <laughs> 1700 so many many you know yeah. many years ago and yeah. the other really kind of just funny thing not funny but interesting thing is the discovery was made in europe about this crazy looking animal and animals sewn together. They thought it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, European researchers didn't realize the ability of the platypus to lay eggs for another hundred years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. But yeah. what's 
funny is, of course, the native Aborigines of Australia. Man, if, if the Europeans just would have asked yeah. those guys, they would have told yeah. them they knew this all along. In fact, yeah. in fact, their local heritage, they have you know stories that go back many, many years. About, oh, thousands. Tell, yeah, thousands of years telling about, or maybe hundreds, I don't know. But they go back and they tell the story, the platypuses or platypi origin <laughs> comes from a young female duck falling in love with a lonely and persuasive water rat. Ah. And then that gives birth yeah, and that gives birth to the first platypus. Right, right. So that's that yeah, that's in their folklore. Um, but of course since it's discovery by Europeans and even with the Aboriginals, that it's just its unique features really make it an iconic subject in Australia and then also world renowned by evolutionary biologists. If you're an evolutionary biologist, you probably want to study these guys, right? right? Like they are the they're the be all end all of cool evolutionary biology stuff. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely very in in Australia. They're very very well loved as far as the Australian heritage goes. Mm-hmm. And they're featured on the the twenty cent coin, and they're an emblem of New South Wales. Right. So they really love them. And and from a conservation point of view, um, in more recent times, they've really stepped up the game and protecting them from hunting and right. poaching. Right. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And they. I mean, could you imagine being the naturalist that landed in Australia? I mean, first of all, everything <laughs> in Australia will kill you. They have like the most deadliest snake, great whites, oh, crocodiles, yeah. spiders, ants. I mean, it's insane. But it would have been cool. Maybe I go to New Zealand. Nothing here will kill us. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I would have been the naturalist on New Zealand and finding the kiwis and things like that. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, so platypus live about 11 years in the wild or 17 years mm-hmm. in captivity. Not very big, you know, less than two feet long for males, like 20 inches or 50 centimeters. And then their females are smaller. So, you know, a little bit smaller than that. Can weigh up to about five pounds or 2.3 kilograms. Mm-hmm. So, again, very small, not very big. Yeah, I guess I pictured them in my brain bigger. But, no, they are they are they are smaller, kind of like a small river otter, if you will. Yeah, yeah, not not too big. And then we talked about their fur, and even Xander brought this up, you know, talking about how it's waterproof, helps them to oh, swim. Okay. And Xander did say they had webbed feet. He he did say that. <laughs> and then, uh, Which yeah. is a pretty cool feature for a mammal. Yes, yes, to help swim, just like your cousin, who we talked mm-hmm. about in the last pod. Yeah, um, yeah he <laughs> probably has some of those genes <laughs> left over. Yeah, you guys are ancient. So while they forage, you know, obviously they swim quite a bit. Yeah, they're they're excellent swimmers. They spend right. most of their time in the water looking, foraging for food. Right, and they dive for, you know, up to a minute, searching around, you know, using that bill to electrolocate their, their food. And what I found, which is really interesting, is, okay, so let's talk really quick. They eat worms, small fish, shrimp, aquatic insects, and other small animals, right? And like you said, bottom feeders. Yep, so when they, bottom feeder, carnivore. Right. And when they catch their food, they hold it in their cheek pouches. They come to the surface to chew and swallow. But platypuses don't have any teeth. They crush yes. it with the top and bottom of their bills. Yeah, it's insane. They don't so. have teeth. Well, and they use their bills to mash it, but they use gravel... Or little small stones that they pick up at the bottom of the water, of the lake or whatever, 
as makeshift teeth. So right. they'll use this in these little stones in their cheek beds to mm-hmm. help grind some of the tougher food. So yeah. like fake teeth. Yeah. So they've kind of <laughs> dentures. Yeah. They've got them. They've got the, yeah, the platypus dentures, right? <laughs> so so interesting. Um, but how, what? But however, my dear huh. friend Chris, what yeah. I was lacking in the behavioral department, I did make up for in their reproduction section. Yeah, I know because it's so unique. So yeah, it's you need so to, you need to really dive into this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you can jump in wherever you'd like. Yeah. Um, but just briefly, we've t- we've touched on the fact that males have those venomous spurs on their hind legs, which really only produce a lot of venom in during the breeding season, which is very short, and it occurs anytime between June and October, with some local variation depending on where they live. And basically, platypus are solitary animals, so they only mm-hmm. come together for breeding, mm-hmm. which once again... I hate to knock the platypus, but they are deadbeat dads. Beat dads, they, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they they do what they need to do and they go on their merry way. Uh, and they have their own territories. Males right. will cross paths with each other, and as will females. But right. typically, they don't. They're not seen together unless it's a breeding season. I need to know if you have your seatbelt on because this is a very interesting and fun fact that I okay. learned. It is PG-13 related. Okay. It does have to do with the male anatomy. All right. And is this back to the vampire all- squid. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my facts, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know you're a reproductive um, specialist, right. so it probably won't come be too surprising right. for you. The penis in the male platypus, or monotremes in general, is very specialized. Oh. It has... Yes. Wait for it. Not one, not two, not three. Yes, yes, yes. But four heads. I know. I, oh, I. Whatever I uh, teach taught this repro at, at the at the zoo school there, that I taught. You knew this? How? how no, have you ever no. Talked about I, this before. I had to do. I talk. Oh, excuse my my French. I had to do the penis talk. So. As a man, I don't think I don't think penis is French, Chris. No, <laughs> but, but but to do the penis talk to a bunch of young college girls, mostly girls, is always a challenge. So I always like to make make fun, you know, because hey, of the it's tension. Not just the, it's not just the girls; well, the, boys, the boys laugh too. Yeah, the the few boys in there probably are like shrinking in their seats when you teach it. So, anyways, when I did the exotic one, I looked at the wildest male penises and that was one of them that came up it is freaky looking i i will put it in the show notes i've got to put this in the show notes because i'll put it at the bottom so it's science it's cool it's nature and it's just bizarre it's It's cool okay and and then to make it even a little bit more bizarre for the platypus is this penis has four heads um they don't all work simultaneously and the platypus only uses half so it only uses two heads at a time on the left side and this is because it matches the female anatomy in that the female only has a functioning left ovary yeah right? so most mammals most mammals have we as females we have an ovary on our right side and on our left side and we ovulate from each side randomly right, right. if they're both functioning if they're both healthy whereas the platypus for some 
evolutionary reason. I don't know what's going on over in Australia yeah, yeah. or in the water there, but their right ovary, and we don't know, researchers don't know a ton about it, but their right ovary shut down and they only ovulate from their left. Huh. And so the somehow they've evolved together where the, where the male, the foreheads were kind of like, well, why waste sperm going right. everywhere in whichever direction? Right. So we'll just move it to the left. So just very, and, and science... <laughs> Scientists don't, you know, they don't under, fully understand why this right. is the way it is. Um, and so, but it is pretty fascinating. And I, uh, I just, I, I, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I was, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised when I found out this fact for my next cocktail party. <laughs> Did <laughs> and you the listeners know? can be too. Yes. Yes. And, and there'll be, a, and Chris will put a picture on the show notes. Yeah, so yeah. it'll be you there can. for your, for you to look, uh, for your viewing pleasure, and I mean that in the most scientific way as possible. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But moving uh, okay. on, the other kind of what, some behaviors that have been studied, interestingly enough, is their courtship behavior, mm -hmm. because a lot of zoo specialists are to try to understand how to better take care of them and breed them when they're living under human care, mm -hmm. and so what we do know about them is. Females, generally speaking, don't tend to be very picky with the males. So unlike the flying foxes that we've uh, covered last week, who right. make the males work time and time and time doing extra their, hard, yes, extra hard, and they're like yeah. very picky and selective. Yeah. Uh, the what animals are these? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> take that part out. Take it out. The vaquita, the vaquita porpoise. Oh, the gorilla. No, just kidding. Oh yes. my god. Oh my god. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the platypus right. is just like meh. You're you have a heartbeat. I'll take you. <laughs> she doesn't care. <laughs> and maybe that's some of her reptilian or uh, bird genes. Where she, well, birds are actually very selective. But so maybe some of the reptilian yeah. genes. I don't know. Who knows? But yes. And so I think their eyes have like permanent beer goggles or something. Something. On. Yeah. Know. And so yeah. they just, you know, I think they just assume like if he's, you know, in my area, he's the strongest. And but but cool enough, their courtship r ritual will last several weeks. And th they what they do is. The males are super funny. I always try to envision like humans doing these behaviors. It'd be kind of like a fun, it'd right. be like a funny Saturday Night Live skit or something. Right, right. But what the males will try to court the females by biting on their tail. Okay, that's what they do. <laughs> and if the female yeah. is not an estrus or not feeling it, she won't let him. She won't let him touch him. Right. Now she will right. let him get close. Okay. She'll let him kind of come near him, kind of swim by her. And they might, you know, they might roll sideways or something, but no biting on the tail, no touching. Right. And once, once she's decided that this is her potential mate, even though she doesn't really care, she finally picks him. She will allow him to bite her on the tail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And then Thanks. she responds by biting him on the tail. So it's this little, you okay. know, a little, and I'm assuming they're love bites, you know, a little since we're, since yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have no teeth, so. Yeah, it is yeah. near Valentine's Day, so they're, yeah, they're little love, love yeah. clamps or claps or bill, bill yeah, bites. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then once, once she allows him to nip her on the tail and she nips him, they swim in a circle and then they start diving and touching and then we all know what happens, you know, behind closed doors after that. 
So just kind of mm-hmm. cute little, um, I just like to picture her just yeah. kind of like not playing hard to get because she'll, she'll take him, but she's going to make him at least work a little bit for it. And, and probably a lot of that has to do with the females. They only come into estrus or have what we term in the industry, a receptive period where they're receptive to a male, sexually receptive for about four to six days. And so a lot of this buildup of her not letting him touch her or bite her on the tail is because she's probably not ready to ovulate, right? She's not quite ready. And so, and the other thing that's interesting is the females aren't going to become sexually mature until their second year. And... Mm -hmm. But a lot of them really aren't super active until they're four years old. And so when we talk about life cycles, that's, you know, that's kind of a, a, lo- a little bit longer if you're not really, if you're yeah. not really breeding until you're four. I mean, you can when you're one and or you can when you're two and three, but not really good at it until you're four. Um, and they, they right. found animals producing in the wild up to nine years old or so females. Um, but once she's bred... The female goes into some really cool housekeeping behaviors and builds her up, builds herself up this nice burrow filled with sticks and leaves and mud. Mm-hmm. And their burrow is gonna a lot of times it, it bucks up right to the edge of the water source, and then right. and it's pretty short. Right. And 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 they try to camouflage it for safety reasons and to hide away from predators, protect mm-hmm. the young. And regarding gestation, the platypus is is. A little bit different than the chicken, which is another egg-laying animal, mm-hmm. in that the the researchers believe that the eggs develop in utero for about fifteen to twenty-one days. Wow! So a little bit longer than a chicken. I, I don't know the right, chicken right. at the top of my head, but chickens lay them pretty quickly, and. Then a female is going to incubate them. It's really cute. She uses her tail to hold them against her body to keep them warm. Right, she'll, right. she'll do that for about 10 to 12 days. Okay. And, and that's called the external incubation period. And that's when, and then the eggs will hatch from there. And could you imagine hatching out baby platypi or pupuses no, or whatever and, we're going to find out here in a minute? Right. And so, oh my God, they would be so cute. I know. And so, Chris, their eggs are only about the size of a thumbnail. Oh wow, it's so tiny. Really yeah. Small. yeah. Yeah, really tiny yeah. and but it makes sense because uh the newly hatched little platypuses or platypi are they're vulnerable, they're blind, they're hairless right. and and almost somewhat like a marsupial mm-hmm. but not not as underdeveloped. And so then they're fed by the mom's milk like we've talked about. But it's important to note that the platypus does make milk, but it doesn't have any teats. Right, right. Which is very interesting. So they lactate, but they don't have a traditional teat like every other mammal right. for the most part. And so what happens is this milk, which is like proteins and fat and carbohydrates, right, that nourishes young, mm-hmm. it's released through pores in the skin, and then the milk pools in grooves on her abdomen, which, by the way... Is funny to me because I definitely have some abdomen places. I have some pools. I have some places where things could definitely pool in my abdomen. I mean, it, you know, I'm a mother of two. Let's be real here. Dude, like, you, the wind blows and you fall over. Go, go on. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying, like, it's just kind of a cute little, like, so yeah, they make little, little milk, milk pools <laughs> and little milk pools in their belly fat. I love okay, it. That's okay. cute, super cute. And so, anyways, and that's how the babies drink the milk and right. uh, after they hatch they suckle for about three to four months and 
They'll emerge from the nest about 133 days. Um, yeah. So I, I, what's the quick math on that? Four months, four and a half yeah, months? Yeah, four months. Mm-hmm. So just really interesting and just bizarre. Like they're mixing the egg hatching, but then they have a, a, a lot of maternal care. Right. And the other side note is the platypus does have a cloaca, which is... The yeah. common cavity that's used to both, you know, that they go to the bathroom out of both poop and pee. And then, of course, that's where their eggs come out of. So, yeah. So it's um, like, here's this mammal that has the hind end of a chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's like, basically, yes, yeah. yes. Although the male does, unlike the birds that don't have a right. traditional penis, most yeah. species, not the ducks, but things I'm learning. Um, the the Plat- male platypus, he 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 hides his penis kind of tucked under up beneath the cloaca. Right. So he has a cloaca, but he's he still is able to get that penis out when he needs to. So <laughs> that four-headed monster. <laughs> ah! Between them and vampires, oh my god, nightmares, nightmares. Oh. Less bless male anatomy and female yeah. anatomy too. Yes, right? yes, yeah, yeah. It's always interesting. So yeah, into conservation they. You know, we said earlier they were just raised to near threatened, but that means mm-hmm. they're since they've been monitoring the populations, they have declined just under thirty percent in mm-hmm. the last couple decades. Yeah, and I read with the IUCN they could be as low as thirty thousand up to maybe three hundred thousand. Sure, it's just really difficult to measure and quantify them because of their distribution, with them being nocturnal. Right. It's it's been a real tough to get numbers on. And I mean, right. honestly, I don't know if there's been what's considered to be like a true robust assessment of the population just right. because yeah. of their geographic range. Yeah. And I mean, the, the range and the difficulties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the whole East coast of Australia, you know, almost up into the tropics. So right. they range really far. And if there's only 30,000 or even 300,000, that mm-hmm. area landmass is huge, huge. And since platypus depend on these freshwater habitat, there is Mm -hmm. mounting evidence that the populations are declining due to lots of different facts. Uh, There's habitat loss and, of course, habitat fragmentation, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast. And the other big, big issue is what is just kind of summarized as poor river management. So Mm -hmm. that's damming up different water places that shouldn't be dammed up or they have a population of platypus in there erosion pollution poor water quality invasive mm-hmm. species they also mm-hmm. happen to be a uh, fishery bycatch mortalities um, mm-hmm. and then of course diseases so right. it's a lot of it's tied up into keeping our water clean uh, which we wherever you live, whether you're in Australia right. or North America or Africa, we all know that that's a struggle that many people are battling. Well, and that's why I'm really glad we're covering species like this to just to bring awareness to these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these semi-aquatic mammals in general, and of course other species too, that they need our help, and that keeping water clean is important for your own right. drinking water and for human health. But it's also it's a trickle down effect, right? It's, so right for many the wildlife. other species yeah. depend on water, and and you and I have touched on it a little bit, but uh, more and more and more, I'm a really big believer that you know water is going to be the next gold or the next it is. Yeah. limited resource that people are going to be fighting over if they aren't already, and right. so we need to take better care 
especially places like Australia or the United States that have yeah. a lot of freshwater reserves, it's good to right. take care of them not only for the animals, but for, of course, people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big deal, like, you know, especially growing up in Southern California and, you know, going through droughts and how that is. And I know water conservation is, is a big message that we've been sending uh, or telling the listeners, mm-hmm. which we're going to continue to do, mm-hmm. right? But the good news, Chris, is that I'm here to tell you that there's organizations out there that are doing really good work for the platypus. And one of them I'd like to highlight this week is called the Australian Platypus Conservancy. And they can be found at www.platypus, P-L-A-T-Y-P-U-S, there's only one S, dot A-S-N dot A-U. I'm assuming the A-U is for Australia. Right. Uh, they also can be, or just Google them, or you can find them on, they have a Facebook page, check them out and like them so you can have updates on all the fun things they're doing for platypus. But this is a, a nonprofit group that's dedicated to conserving the platypus and protecting the bio, biodiversity of freshwater habitats. Mm-hmm. And they do so much stuff. Oh my goodness. They have innovative field projects and they use research, which we're a big fan of, and science along with practical outcomes, which is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I both know as much as we love to like sit behind our desks and our lab coats with our pipettes, that's great, but you got to get out there and have it actually be practical and applied for, right. for, for it to really mean a lot of things to, a lot, to help a lot of people or a lot of animals. So what this group does, Australian Platypus Conservancy, is they've um, been some of the first to study platypus living in urban areas, they mm-hmm. do radio trafficking studies of their behaviors which and habitat requirements, which is really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were the first to do a reintroduction project hmm. of platypus. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they also work with local community-based monitoring programs, probably what I think of as like citizen science, right. so that people can go out and let you know if they see one in, you know, in, a, in, in, in an area and help report for population counts and for overall species health. And this organization, of course, does all these things for the platypus, but they also work to rehabilitate freshwater ecosystems. So if this, hmm. the water is then polluted or needs to be cleaned up, they work with helping restore that. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, the other big key that any conservation group should do, these guys do a great job of providing educational services like le- public lectures and community workshops, and then they hit up the schools to help teach young kids about platypus. So right. they That's get awesome. two thumbs up, Australian Platypus yeah. Conservation, check them out. And secondly, I'd like to give a shout out to the Taronga Zoo in Sydney. Mm. Oh, cool. I'd love to visit someday. Maybe when I come visit yeah, you, yeah. we can just... Hop, skip, and a jump, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's like six-hour flight, but still, I yeah. was going to say hot, skip, and jump, and long plane ride. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, so the Taranga Tura- <laughs> the, um, the Zoo, I think I'm saying that right, uh, obviously you can find them online, or they have a great Facebook page, but they are a group that does a lot for platypus conservation. Tens of thousands of dollars. They have mm-hmm. donated their time, their researchers, their energy, and recently, they've been uh, investing time and money into projects to investigate the impacts of water dynamics, of water extraction mm-hmm. and dams, and what this is doing to population dynamics. 
So right. I just give give them a big shout out. This is not even stuff that's going on in the zoo. This is stuff, field work, field research, field conservation that they are working on to help platypus. And then lastly, the Taronga Zoo is only one of two zoos that has given successful birth to a platypus. Uh, as oh, I wow. mentioned, mm-hmm, as I mentioned earlier, they're really they're really difficult to breed under human care because their breeding season is so short and we don't know that much about them. And the Taronga Zoo right. has been able to do that. And so that's just, it's a really helpful in, in, in their conservation as we learn more about them. So check that zoo out. Right. Maybe you and I will get to go someday. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. If we have anybody, yes. yeah, if we have anybody in Sydney listening, maybe yeah. you can hook us up with some, uh, get me a job there too or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get her a job in, in Auckland, mm-hmm. you know, so then she can live near me again. Uh, so Angie, you promised, what is the plural of platypus? Yay, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting, we're waiting. Okay, well, so here's the deal. This very, very rarely happens in my house, but my husband, who thought it was platypi, and I, who thought it was platypuses, myself, were both yeah. right. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> in the, we're both, I was, I was we're say, was both right. right. <laughs> no, we're both right in the fact that we're both wrong. Okay, so <laughs> technically, technically, there's no universally agreed plural platypus in English, Okay. Right. Scientists will use platypuses or platypus, and it's slightly more incorrect, but platypi is, can also be used. Right. The correct Greek plural would be platypodes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so, the platypodes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but science, I think the science in general, like, you know, we're like, we don't want to use Greek in English. So, platypuses or platypus. Even it, you may be, you know, maybe a little not as good to use platypi. So maybe my husband, I hate to say it on air, uh, <laughs> he might have been <laughs> hey, a little bit, a little more right than me. Uh, but yeah, Yay, John. so there's the answer. And um, oh, that's great. Have that, that's have great. fun with that at a cocktail party, right? <laughs> yeah, platypodes. So yes. my next writing, platypodes, right? <laughs> All right. Well, for us. If you can do us this one favor, please, Angie and I will love you forever. Share this episode or your favorite. I mean, I still, Honey Badger is my favorite. I mean, I, I listened to each one. I've edited each one. I've listened to them all uh, over and over, and uh, they're great, but I love the Honey Badger episode. But if you could share your favorite episode with one friend, you tell them about it, social media, word of mouth, please just ask them to listen. Give it, Give us a shot. You know, uh, hopefully we can get them to subscribe. It's just we need to spread the gospel, and the animals are going to love you for it. So if we can do that, if you can do that for us, we will love you forever. Yes, thank you for your time, and hopefully you learned a little bit about platypodes and had as much fun. Platypodes. Had as much fun or maybe a little bit of fun as we did. So Uh, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.